Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bingetown TV's coverage of Amazon's The Wheel of Time. So this will be our instant reaction to episode four, titled The Dragon Reborn. And I guess, first things first, what was the reaction to the episode title? Just off the t- episode title alone, I was super hyped for the episode, and boy, did it deliver. This was one of my favorite episodes of television in a very long time, I would say. Wow. It just had a very anime vibe to me, so that's why I very much liked it. I thought it was incredible. I mean, you guys already texted in the chat saying, hey, like, I loved episode four, so like my expectations were a little high, but I watched it, and I was like, yo, this is insane, and my first reaction was we're going to figure out which one of the four it was. Well, now five. But then I started to think it was just all about this uh, this Logan guy, Logan. And all of a sudden, you know, we'll get to it eventually. But it was a huge buildup in only three episodes. I just wanted to say. Yeah. So my two cents here is Dave stole my quote. That was my text, you piece of shit. I said it was my favorite episode. <laughs> Anything I've watched in a really long time because I thought it was incredible. My first reaction to the name of the episode, it, I don't think it really, it's weird because that's the name of book three in the 14 book series. So it's like kind of, you would have thought that it would have been maybe even the finale of season like three down the road, but just this episode was fucking amazing. Logan was just a scene stealer and and how the male eyes and eye power looked was just incredible to me. It had some major changes from the books, but it was fucking awesome. And I think it was, it was way better than the first three. And I loved the first three. Yeah. So we can even just jump right into the first scene. Speaking of the way that the, the power looks from the male side, I thought, yeah, they visualized the corruption of the male power or the male side of the power. They, they reference it as Sidene. They actually dropped the name in this episode, which is nice. Now we can use that term, but what was the thought of, I mean, I thought they also displayed the madness really well, too. They have the two kind of beings next to him speaking to him. And just I wasn't expecting that. So I'm just curious what everyone else thought of that as well. It was great how he kind of recognized that, you know, he is listening to the madness. But in the opening scene, he's like, hey, I'm trying to to bond the world. I'm not trying to break it. Um, Because it really did look like he truly believed he was the Dragon Reborn. And he was self, he had enough self-control to almost ignore the madness. Not completely, but for the most part. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like Luke said, the color was really cool. Uh, just the black aspect of it, rather than being the traditional white we've seen, was really cool. And secondly, it was really interesting seeing how the madness was affecting him compared to the first guy that we got introduced to in the very first part of uh, the very first scene of episode one. Because his madness character was like an actual person like in his head where these were figures two dark figures he had a different take on the madness to me it seemed a little different than what we originally saw in the very first episode and i'm wondering if that's going to be if the madness is going to be unique to everybody or if that is just Logan having of dealt with the madness and lived through it for a longer period of time but either way you couldn't really ask for it better being in a live action because it's all like in your head in the books and that's so hard to decide to visually show and i just think the route that they went is so good and the fact that Logan was just not listening to it was such a mind fuck he and he just was radiating sort of like jesus vibes right like being the messiah and and the the coming of him uniting the world together all of that was just so extrapolated from the book a lot of that gets off screen in the book and i said it on the on the one of the deep dive episodes how rafe the showrunner loves this character from the books and he really wanted to expand upon his role and i don't think you can even complain about this it was just so good 
And the ending scene, we'll talk about that in a little bit, was so crazy. Throw another character in the mix of people that Dave is obsessed with and can't decide who is his favorite. Right, are you keeping gonna... it to three? Or are you going to expand the We'll list expand it to four now. We'll do it to <laughs> okay. four just for the game. So the way this episode is going to roll, obviously, we just gushed a little bit about the opening scene because it's really good. But we're going to talk about each storyline on its own, throw them into three buckets. We're going to start with Perrin and Egwene because this storyline to just be frank, the least happens in it. They give us two basically key pairings in the storyline. So we get Perrin and, and Isla or Ela, and then we get Egwene and Aram. So they kind of have their own conversations and we learn a little bit about all four characters. So what do we think about Aram? Which one was he? I've only seen it one time, so I'm I'm struggling right now. Aram Egwene. is the son talking to Egwene. He has like kind of the oh, short okay. dreads. Okay. I liked him. He seemed a little sketchy to me, to be honest. I, I I have my eyes on him for sure, but I think he was a good character. Uh, he was interesting, especially he had a perspective different than what his tradition usually had. So it's going to be interesting to me, I think. It breeds some kind of feud down the line, potentially. I think he had his eyes on Egwene, <laughs> and he was pissed. He was like, ah, your boy from back home? You all know about it. Come on, just kiss me. But he, it was like Dave was saying, the fact that it's the younger generation, and he's saying the only one that believes in the song is like old fools or crazy people. He's so far removed from like actual evidence that he just like doesn't believe it. And I don't know, it could be a thing, could could just be a made up story. But I did like the the two pairings because it seemed like we learned a lot about both Egwene and Perrin. Yeah, I think Aram's actor is really good. He was Perrin. he was really good. Aram, Aram, those two splits served two very different purposes and i think they both handled it incredibly well and parents was so unexpected for me but starting with just Egwene and aram that conversation did so much weight pulling of giving you guys backstory into what the tinkers purpose is what like their whole faction stands for some of their rituals even with like the younger kids how they let them go out kind of like what is that thing called for the amish people um but uh that was that was just so well done. I think it just did a great job of telling you guys exactly what we were saying in episode three breakdown, how they're just traveling friendly people that just will not go to war or any of that. But then flipping over to the Perrin and Elam side. It's Ela, I believe. Ela, Ela side. That was so character driven, those scenes, rather than it being about the tinkers themselves. And it just for me, it felt like it was foreshadowing potentially parents path maybe it'll be a stop on the way or this could be way down the road but it seemed like everything she was saying was clicking with his character and that was great to see and just helping him deal with the emotional stress of the wife so now maybe he can get a, he can find a path to get past it rumspringer that's what it's called well they're the amish coming of age yes when that. you uh rumspringer yeah i just really like the contrast almost between perrin and isla in that not even maybe really contrast, but he's kind of at the beginning of his journey and she has lived so much life and has so much experience and are kind of bestowing a little bit of that wisdom on him. I think they have a really nice, they, they play off each other really well. And I, I like how colorful they made the tinker wagons. That's like how it's supposed to be. So that was just a nice little touch. Quite the coincidence that they're also heading east to Tarvalon. I thought the Bro. same thing. All roads head to the uh, tower. Also, the, the way of the leaf just sounds really cool. And I liked how they explained that. Just no, like, yeah, yeah, you don't fight the wind, you just go with it. I think this is definitely one of the episodes that you're, as a first-time viewer and consumer of Wheel of Time content, this is definitely one of the more pertinent episodes that I felt like I really needed to sit back and just take in all the information because not only do we get a lot of content within the characters, but just historic events and story building that I think a lot of it went over my head the first time watching. So I think this is one episode 
of the four that we've seen so far that you would benefit the most on a rewatch from, I think. I mean, we're going to go over a lot of general things. And obviously, the deep dive episode, we can ask a bunch of questions. We'll dive into a lot of book stuff, all that kind of fun shit that we did on the, the previous three deep dives. So we can move into Rand, Matt, and Tom, their storyline. I was so excited to get back into this after the ending of episode three. I thought this was straight gas pretty much the entire time. The two big things I would like to talk about would be first, Tom's backstory, and then second would be Matt's seemingly descent into darkness and almost madness. So Tom's backstory. What a guy. What a man. So, what a life. So cool. He's talking about his uh, nephew, Owen, right? That's the name. That's where he understands the experience of uh, a man using the one power and succumbing to the madness. So like, he's wise. He knows a lot about it. How? But I, I don't trust anybody, really, because, you know, uh, Dana, the bartender, was so convincing. Tom could have killed her and be like, yo, I want to be the one that turned you in to the eyeless. I want all the powers that you were talking about. So that being said, I still fucking love Tom. I think he's the fan. And I don't I don't know if he actually has like good intentions of saying I'm I will watch out for you and stuff. I personally think he has good intentions, but again, from what we saw from Dana, I totally thought she had good intentions too. So everything is you have to just be very watchful of and everyone could be a dark friend. You never know. Exactly. And I still love Tom Marilyn. I just think his character, this episode only just confirmed what I had already known. And that's just him being a fucking badass. Um, how old is he? Like, is that a spoiler? Like, how old is he supposed to be in the books or like right now? If I'm honest, I don't think they give like a, an exact age. They kind of speak about him in relative terms and the way that he looks. He's so, got to be on the north side of like 45, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would say even flirting with like 60 ish. Yeah, he's older. but. I don't know. The show version might be a little bit different because how he was, how he fights, especially with the fade or the eyeless in the end scene with uh, the storyline, he's moving, man. He's chucking knives. He's fucking going hand to hand. I didn't picture that in the books. I figured in the books, he could be a little bit aged up, but I think he's a tiny bit aged down, but I would probably guess like he's like 48. And I also want to know if he's in his prime right now or if he shed a couple of those years as he's even more of a beast than he is now. Like it's I can't wait. Dude, he was magnificent. And his him, that story with Owen was as a book reader completely unexpected at this point. And I thought it was it served its purpose so well. It gave some credibility and explained this is actually important because one of my roommates was confused about the idea that if a male is born with the ability to channel, he's automatically a false dragon. And this goes to show you that, that that's not even the case. You're only a false dragon if you're claiming to be a dragon. And yeah, I said, I wanting to kill you is a completely separate thing. Like the red Aja always want to kind of kill whoever's male that has the ability. And the fact that you got to see another a male who just didn't want anything to do with the power. You saw what happens when the power was taken from him. All of that was fantastic. And it's super great information for wheel time fans just filling in the back rules of this world. Yeah, that story of him, you know, throwing a rock without using his hands. Mm -hmm. And then after being gentle, is it gentled or gentiled? Gentled. Gentled. So after he was gentled, he just, you know, you know, what? not worth it. <clears throat> Knife in the throat. That's just was nuts. And he said it so casually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he paints such a picture of it being that way. It's just super casual. I also am just in love with Tom's actor. I just, some people have some gripes about the fact that he's not very book accurate technically, but he is so amazing on the screen. Mm -hmm. I love it. I literally everything about him. I don't have a single complaint. What is his book counterpart supposed to look like or be like? 
he is like kind of like a boisterous old man. He has like a big white mustache that he knuckles a lot. Like he just has kind of his cloak is like really patchwork, bright colors. He's just like way more over the top of a character. While this guy's kind of almost like a cowboy. Yeah, yeah, that line about uh, Gleeman. That was cool. I thought of you. I just completely forgot that I kind of spoiled that. I got books and book and show knowledge mixed up in my head. I don't know. I don't even call that a spoiler. But to continue with shit that happened, I mean, Rand's dream. Holy shit. What does that mean? That was insane. So that's good to know that it's not just Perrin getting one-off specific dreams, and it could be all of them. So it's mm-hmm. good to see that from different characters. That really helps me out personally, because that was one of the r- things that made me believe that Perrin was going to be the, the DR. But now that we see that it's not just him, I think these dreams, one, they can happen at the same exact time or individually to each person at separate times. So it's good to see that they're keeping it even and it's not just one-sided like, okay, it's without a doubt, Perrin's the only one getting Dark One flashes. We're also seeing Rand. And hopefully we get every dream sequence of the Dark One has been amazing. So hopefully we get one with Egwene and Matt as well. So that would be awesome. Matt's kind of had his own little dark shit going on He's, in the waking yeah. world. <laughs> Doesn't even need dreams at this point to see some wag shit. Yeah, like you could see the darkness like coming out of his mouth when he was puking. And at the end, when they walk in to see these dead bodies um, and they see Matt standing there, you can see the darkness kind of coming out the corner of his mouth. But when they Tom and Brand walk in, it kind of like zips back in. And it reminded me a lot of the darkness that took over literally the city of Shadow Lagarth. Shadar Lagarth? Shadar Lagarth. Lagarth? No R in the second word. Dude, (laughs) that scene made my heart drop so much because I, for a second, thought that they were going to have Matt murder that family and I was about to be done with the fucking show. Oh my God. I was about to be done. No, no, I think that's. I think that was obviously. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong, and I'm am done with the show. But holy fuck, don't <laughs> you think it was the eyeless? He didn't have any knife on his blood, so I yeah, thought the eyeless had blood. <laughs> he didn't have he any, didn't knife, have any knife on his blood. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit, that was amazing. The eyeless <laughs> had blood on him. Yeah, the eyeless, I think, clearly had the blood on. I'll him. have to go back and look. Yeah, but but it could also be a twist at some point that it was actually Matt. I think that would be really cool too if they went that route. But I really, at at first glance, I really think it was the eyeless that that did in the family and. These scenes, really like scary scenes, really do have me a little bit like terrified. If I was watching alone by myself in like a black room, like I'd be a little creeped out here. And I I love that, though. I love that aspect of it. It's not just action and fantasy. It's got to be the extreme on the spectrum of horror to make it realistic in a world that is this horrible. They have some jump scares. Like when Matt was just standing there and like possessed, it looked like I was shitting bricks a little bit. And before we move on, the last thing I will say, we talk a lot of shit, obviously, on the fades and the Trollocs and shit, but that knife catch was pretty slow. So cool. (laughs) Yeah, that was badass. Oh, my God. I was loving that so much. It's just like it shows that they're not just, uh, I guess, a form of leader. Like they actually can back up their leadership. They have skills beyond just commanding Trollocs and things like that. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, we'll definitely get into fighting fades or eyeless as we get more into the series, and they're definitely going to be some bad asses. I can't wait for that. I hate that they split up Tom. It split up with Rand and Matt. So it's like, okay, is he the one that called the eyeless? Is is he the? So I don't know. There's a lot, a lot up in the air. Save that, that theory talk for uh, yep, the next yep. pod. All right, our meat and potatoes bucket. 
this is like a KFC family bucket, this storyline, because Jesus, I feel like everything almost in the episode happened here. So Nynaeve, Moraine, Lan, and even, I guess, Loghain gets tossed into this bucket as well. I just want to start off on the top, I guess, a little light with, we talked about on the deep dive episode of, I don't remember if it was two, three, it might have been a lot of them, how we're kind of getting this idea of the White Tower, and we have the colors, and are they all together and not? And we learned this episode that there's a decent amount of politics and division going on in the Aes Sedai. I mean, not only is there division, there's almost tension too within those divisions. Let's. I think we could just clarify here. They're just called Ajas. If that's what, are we talking about the Aes Sedai specifically? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just call them Ajas. I, I don't know if they got name dropped this. I think they did. They did, Aja. They did, yeah. So it's like the blue the Aja or the red okay. Aja. Yeah, so it's just easier because it'll. that's going to be an important terminology going forward. It's an interesting yeah. take because it's one step deeper than I made the the Witcher comparison, I think, in one of these past episodes of Kyra Morin and Kyra Morin and the Witchers where all the Witchers are bred and created and trained. But this has a little bit more political depth to it. It's not as simple as just like, okay, let's get all the women, the strong women we believe that could change the world here. It's like we have layers to this shit. You know, there's there's different factions within this faction. It's uh, something that is is not really, I think, seen in a lot of uh, like fantasy genre episodes like this. Okay, I was gonna say, <laughs> Paul. Man, it looked like you were gearing up for a yeah, comment. I apologize, but yeah, Paul, you know me, man. I love my uh, the Witcher, like Witch's Council kind of thing, and this is that, like Davis yeah, saying, like times that. a million. It's so much mm-hmm. better, and sort of like the the Hogwarts Sorting Hat, kind of, but to a lesser degree. There's way more variance within the colors, but like you have a specific priority depending on the color that you're in. And it just adds for so many unique plot lines. And I think that this episode laid the groundwork for explaining the different priorities for like the Red Aja, who seem to be a major player, and then like how they feel about people like Moraine. And then the Green Aja got the whole backstory, which is awesome. I think that's such a great thing to show. And and the different warders, like how that all plays together, I think was done masterfully. And for four episodes deep into the show, this isn't information you get for so long in the books. And I'm just so happy that they put it right out front because now fans are going to be able to to attach on to different colors and and align themselves with different characters based on their colors. It's going to be fucking really fun. And the Aja's pick which colors they want to go to. It's not not just like they get thrown in, which is cool too, because I feel like a lot of the time it's in these kinds of groups, you're placed somewhere and then maybe you feel like you don't belong in this group and that can cause some like internal conflict. But they seem to be aware that if we just let people choose the colors that they want and identify as, then everyone will just be happy for the most part. But that does also at the same time create strife between each color. So it's also funny. They'll get into it later, but like some colors like other colors more. Some colors are kind of yeah. or some Ajas rather are going to be allies. They'll also talk about this a lot more. It takes a long time to become an Aes Sedai. So you go to the White Tower and it's a long time until you get to pick your Aja. So you get a lot of experience with all of them. So it's because it's not a very casual decision. You know, it's a pretty big fucking decision you make. Yeah, it seems like everybody can't be any position. Moraine said, hey, you could have been a blue. So it seems like blue is like a little bit harder to get into or something like that. Just really cool groundwork, like you guys were saying. And I just can't wait to learn more about it. And have yeah, you guys Alana, been, she, she was the green, right? Yeah, I was going to say, that's who Moraine says that line to. And she says that she basically, she chose the battle Aja, which is the green Aja, because she wants a lot of warders. More than one. (laughs) We saw that in action on the way to the tent. It was dope. Loved it. Bang away, my friends. Seems like Paul's found his Aja color. Yeah, yeah. I'm going green. You wish you could join the green Aja. 
them talking about Logan's power and how hard it was to contain him. They were like, dude, it is so much harder to break out of one a spell than it is to like keep somebody in it. And we need two of him, us to contain him. And he's not even breaking a sweat. Like this guy is insane. I was just like, this has got to be the po- most powerful person we've seen so far. At least I think. Wait, is that what they said? I thought I heard it the opposite way. So they were saying that it's, Damn. it's, which kind of takes away, I guess, from the point of what that you were getting at. Yeah, well, still. But at the same time, it, it, we're going to talk about that more specifically later. But I was getting real big Azen from Bleach vibes when he's in the prison cell. This is like after the time skip in Bleach when Azen, the main villain in the first half of the series, he gets kidnapped by the main characters, essentially, and he's in prison. And they really can't release him from his shackles. Like they release like an eye and a finger of his and like all hell breaks loose. And it's kind of like the same thing here. Like if you put your wards down for one second against this dude, he will break out. And he, we see it a little bit too in the one scene where uh, Moraine, I think is like a little bit distracted. And then he has that twitch yes. of like trying to break yeah, out for dude, one second. So it's so cool, man. Right, really... Let's gush on that full episode. We're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, but that's why I was getting real anime vibes. This set this episode. It's like his power level can't be contained, you know, kind of stuff. So I was really enjoying it. Yeah, he's definitely a beast. And I agree. I like that. He stayed calm the whole time. He knew basically what was coming that he should have been waiting because there's no fucking way that they were going to last the whole way back to Tarvalon. So we do see that his followers come and they try to fight basically and break him out. Alana, our green Aja, she is just a beast in that battle. I like how she stops the arrows. She basically has that ground explosion. I think that she's going to be a very interesting character for people. Um, she'll definitely be in the story a decent amount going forward. And I'm the green Aja is fought. I feel like if I wanted to pick one, maybe like high and mighty me would pick the blue, but I think the green would be a lot of fun to be in. Seems like you're equating the blue with like Gryffindors. Because I guess I do it mostly because of Moraine and Moraine's on this like grand quest to save the world. So that's kind of why I think that. But yeah, I'm into the brown. I really love the CGI in this fight. Like you usually have to wait. I feel like to the end of a season to get a fight as good as this almost. And we got it four episodes in, which was amazing. And I'm always hesitant about like motions like that, just dancing and things like that. But in this specific episode, it looked incredible how the wind was just flowing with their bodies and they were using the wit, like the white wisp of smoke as like hands, but at the same time, destructive power. Like, wow, this was just so well done. And I can see this is already just showing the budget that Amazon has is just going to be worth every penny for seasons to come. Yeah, I have army attacks. Magic is amazing. I was just like <laughs> completely entranced by it. the battle. Was so cool and the choreography. I mean, it didn't seem like anybody was like just standing there. It wasn't like too out of place. I enjoyed it a lot. And then to go to Moraine, just walking in to Logan after like the cage just melts away, which looks so cool. I knew it was her because of her shoulder pads, just from yep. the shadow, <laughs> just from the shadow. You're like, oh, who is it? You're like, yeah, she's Moraine, like, dude. yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> all, oh, that's fucking great. No, I mean, that conversation was chills to me just because of how Moraine treated it. And I won't talk any more details about it. But uh, one thing I texted Kyle about specifically about this storyline after I watched the episode last night was that they casually say the line about how an army's breaking through. And then someone says, well, there's no army that Seven Aes Sedai couldn't mop the floor with. Yeah, and I was really worried that that was going to be a bad piece of dialogue and how the army was going to actually murder a bunch of them. And I think only one, maybe two went down, which is just putting some super high respect on their names and paying attention to the fact that 
even at like a full on army can really only take down one or two. That's all you need to really fight these kind of these battles. And thinking about the implications of that and the history of the war and the history of the Aes Sedai in the world is just awesome that they didn't ruin it by killing like six of them just to make it dramatic for this one episode. And yeah. well, I'll get more into that tomorrow. But And I don't think anyone died except for Karene, who Loghain kills. Because the red get hits with an arrow, but they heal her on the battlefield. Oh, okay. really? Then maybe none of them died. Well, no, no. The Okay, yeah. So the one that Loghain directly kills, you're right. Yeah. Which is like, okay, that's a channeler. That's not some random bumpkin with a sword. And yeah. that caused her warder to die, too. Well, he doesn't die. He felt it right away. Die. He goes crazy. Yeah, he feels it because of their bond. Because he and felt that, the which, death. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which then he unfortunately leads us to our climax of the episode, which is Loghain breaks out of the shield because of Steppen's axes allow the Sidene to escape and just shrapnel everywhere. Everyone is on the ground except for Nynaeve, the legend. And she just... I don't even know how to describe it. She just like almost lets go like a supernova of healing power. Yeah. Just, what is uh the the dr says? All he says is the quote from the dr like Loghain. Yeah. Or the oh, sorry. Self-proclaimed. F- FDR. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. The okay. fake F- F- so FDR is literally he says like like a shining sun. Yeah, it will burn, and it was her. That's what it looked like. So you were on point with the uh, that comparison. Yeah, I have a new guess of who I think the Dragon Reborn is going to be. I think it's going to be Nynaeve. Yeah, <laughs> she's in contention now, absolutely for me. And it was never confirmed when everyone kept referring to the group as five. The all the FDRs is five of them. Like we never, you know, no one ever confirmed that Loghain was that fifth. You know, it could have been anyone. There was um, never. It was always questions. Rewatching with Emily on the first episode, Moraine comes in and is having that conversation with Neve at the pool. And, she, and I didn't realize she says, like, hey, they don't keep track of anything here, like birth certificates or death. So, like, guessing she was too old because she was 25, that's that was a straight up guess. So, Neve's a boss. That's all I know. Yeah. If I'm honest, as a book reader, this scene came completely out of left field. We do learn in book one that Nynaeve can channel and that she's really strong, but they don't like show us. to the wind. Yeah, they don't show us anything like this. So this was like, whoa, for me. And part of me doesn't like it only because it's epic, but I think it would have been better maybe a little later in the season. And a lot of that has to do with it just kind of downgrades Lan a little bit in my eyes, because in my eyes, in this part of the story, he's such like a superhero. He can do anything. He's a beast. He's a tracker. He fights everyone. He's got like amazing reflexes and it just seemed like seeing him on the ground, like bleeding out was such a shock to me that I was like, oh, my God, my boy, he's going to die. <laughs> All right. My two responses, because I pretty much when I was just gushing after watching the episode, just texting Kyle about the things like and he said that it sobered me up a little bit and I had to think about it. And I, I will totally like revisit this opinion both after I do a note taking watch. And then I think in hindsight, the decision to show Nynaeve's explosion of power now could turn out better or worse. As of right now, I'm totally fine with it. But the implications of it and how it affects the story going forward is going to matter of my final opinion, of course. But face value right now, this was like a we got to get from point A to point B. I think this does it. And I'm totally fine with it. I'm also, again, less of a book reader than Kyle. I'm still kind of new to it. So I'll decide that later. But I think I'm fine with it. So I I thought it was pretty fucking cool. 
it, it puts Nynaeve right into the forefront. And this felt like a Nynaeve episode. She got so much spotlight with her talking with uh, Lan and her talking with Leandrin. That was a cool scene too. And just her keep reiterating her point about how much she hates Aes Sedai and specifically Moraine. Like all of this I felt was good character work. And that part at the end where she explodes with power might have been jumping the gun a little bit. Sure. But if it doesn't make us miss any steps in the in the plot points that I envision in my head, then I'm fine with it. And I think we might look back and be okay with it. And that was, I know, mostly about the books and stuff. But I, I think it's going to yeah. be cool. It's going to be cool how people react to it, especially when Egwene finds out and how they like talk. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, there's a cute little scene in the books when Egwene finds out that's very hush-hush. I only pick it up really on my reread because it all comes from someone else's point of view. And... It just made me smile thinking about it when you just said that. I actually just finished my book one reread today, like maybe like two hours ago. Wow. So. I can't wait to talk about that with you. Off pod. <laughs> yeah. So this is, a, this is a fun wheel of time day for me. And then tomorrow episode drops and we freaking get our deep dives in this weekend. And then uh, we keep going. And I, it's a good point too, that the explosion of power happened and then the episode pretty much ends. So we haven't seen any aftermath. There's a lot of stuff to happen afterwards to kind of give that moment some context. Kind of the last thing that happened was Loghain being gentile, uh, gentle, gentile, uh, gentile. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I keep writing down. I thought like he was going to be like a season long like threat, big player, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, never mind. I that knew was- he couldn't be, and at the same time, I thought that same thing. That was actually exactly what I wanted to touch on, Paul. Is I really don't think we're going to count out Loghain just yet as uh, a non-major character. I think. So the I know threat. I just said you gotta I, agree that the threat I just want this is gone of the, the like them gentling him. Yeah, I agree. I, I I will accept that, but I just think that I just want this on paper on pod that I still think there's a potential for Locaine to still come back as the DR. I just think that this is one of these moments that are is going to change his perspective on life and everything. Like I know we saw that when people usually get gentled, they kill themselves. They don't see a, a purpose. But I think if anything, from what I've experienced at Lugane is this really wonderful, not wonderful as in like nice guy, but he is an amazing person and he's capable of a lot. And I think he's capable of growing from this and that being something that the DR could potentially use as a learning experience, you know, I just think that the DR needs to go through some loss and, and triflings to be able to get to that point in time. And this could be seen as his moment. So I want to put up a pin on him still being the DR. Two thoughts on that. One, I love that you're riding because you identified Loghain early as a guy you were going to like. And two, just as a, in a general sense, the DR will go through a lot in this story. Mm-hmm. So you're spot on by saying that. Yeah, that's just I just wanted on podcast. I don't I'm not agreeing that I think he is still the Dragon Reborn. I just think there's a chance that he still is in the contention. Yeah. I mean, he was crying when he got genitals. So brother. <laughs> no, that was on purpose. He did that one on purpose. Though. But yeah, of I mean, course. are we pretty much at the end now, Kyle? Yeah. Or at least the I was just reaction. thinking, I mean, if anybody wants some last thoughts, things we didn't cover, or they want to talk about general things, I thought once again. The colors are just amazing in the show. I'm glad it's not super dark all of the time. I think they use the darkness well. Like the Rand and Matt storyline had a lot of dark scenes, which is fine. But then we get Nynaeve and Lan and Moraine in them. And that whole storyline was really bright with all the Aja colors and the magic and the one power and stuff. So I just, the show looks great still going through episode four. I think this built so well in the first three episodes and was probably the best of the four. Give it a one out of 10 since you kind of just riffed on your uh, final thoughts there. We'll all do the same. Me as a one out of 10. Jeez. Um, I'm going to say it's a 
That's a nine. I, I flirt between eight and a half and a nine. I just the, the naive scene, just part of it rubs me the wrong way. Dude, this might be. I'd have to do a rewatch to confirm this, but it's at least a nine for me. I would say it has the potential to be a 10. Like I said earlier, this felt like a finale episode and it's only episode four, which is crazy to think about, but between a nine and a 10 for me, really, like I just, I thought this was a wonderful piece of television. Yeah. I'm going to say a nine out of 10 too. I mean, out of like the three big storylines we have going right now, like two of them being the Moraine land and Eve, everybody at that camp, so much good stuff happened there. And then so much good stuff happened with Rand and Matt and Tom. I mean, seeing, seeing the fade, it would be a 10, honestly, if Egwene's and Perrin's storyline, I still enjoyed the building, the world building that it showed this episode, but you know, if anything, anything cooler happened there, it probably would have been a 10 for me. I loved it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty hesitant about my, my initial reaction, but I honestly want to say a 10. Like, that was fucking amazing. And I'm, trust me, I am the worst kind of TV critic, and I'm always the worst kind of book, like, book reader to watching of the source material live adapted. He's I'm always like, oh my god, like, it's not like Game of Thrones, the books, whatever. He's whatever the embodiment of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and for some reason, like, maybe it's because Wheel of Time is so long, and I, I said this already, probably in this podcast, how it's 14 books. I Maybe I don't understand the implications yet of their changes from the source material, but, like, so far i can't imagine like how you don't watch these first four episodes and and just are so into the plot and the world like the world building picked up so much this episode like one of you guys said and i thought they established a bunch of rules but it, this episode was fucking awesome I, I right now it's easily the top of the season and i hear that episode six like is gonna make me fucking faint from happiness so like i'm i'm ready i'm ready and this is a great start so that's all she wrote for us Episode four, The Dragon Reborn Instant Reaction. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter at bingetowntv.com. We got a website. It's called bingetowntv.com. Oh, I even said that for the handles. There's no .com on the handles. Um, <laughs> we cover a lot of shows. We're really focused on real time at the moment, but Dexter's coming out right now. So we're doing some Dexter episodes. We're also covering Winona Earp, if you like that. We just did the OA. I know the OA has a nice cult following. So if you like shows like that, a lot of shows in that kind of sci-fi fantasy genre, we probably cover a lot of the ones that you like. So check out those episodes. And yeah, that's all she wrote. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 